Thank you for listening to the Grace Harvest Church podcast. For more information, go to graceharvestchurch.org. Before we jump into the text um, of this letter, I just want to lightly recap a little bit the journey that we've been on uh, on the book of Galatians called Keep in Step. Um, If you rewind a little bit in the layout of the Bible, uh, you would see that in the book of Acts, um, two books before the book of Galatians, that right nestled in the middle of Acts is Acts chapter 14, 12, 13, 14, which is the first missionary journey of the Apostle Paul heading to East Asia Minor. And so if you read, you read the text, you would see his travels and what the Lord laid on his heart, and you could follow the journey that he walks through in that area. And it's out of that missionary travel He plants a series of churches in a region called uh, Galatia. Um, That that word Galatia actually means land of the ghouls or uh, Celtic uh, invaders had landed in that region and they had multiplied and took took foothold. And and so this was the people that the Apostle Paul had moved through and planted churches. Now, when I say planted churches and, and, and in his missionary journeys, I'm talking years of relationship. Now, 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 just know that there were no airplanes. There's no trains. There are ships that move by sail. And then there's foot traffic, right? Or cart traffic. But we're, we're not talking, when we talk about missionary journeys in, in Bible times, we're talking about packing up your stuff and walking along the way. Everybody say a long time. And so this is the journey that the Apostle Paul goes on, that the Lord and the Holy Spirit leads him to establish relationship with people. He just begins to preach the gospel of grace and the good news of Jesus Christ to a people, and people hear this gospel, they respond to it, a little group gathers, or however many gather, and and thus a church is planted. And so this letter is a letter to a group of churches in the region. And so Pastor Drew kicked us off and uh, illustrated the idea of what it is and what the Apostle Paul is really dealing with in this letter. And if I could sum it up, he's dealing with division and another gospel. Now, now, I would say that this letter, it wasn't written to us, but it's for us because even in the church that we have today, we deal with the same basic concepts, right? Like division and another gospel. Division and another way in layers to live that would try to please God. And I'm going to explain this as we go along. And so the Apostle Paul writes this letter to these churches in a manner that is quite confrontational. In fact, if you would have received this letter, um, the Apostle Paul aims to smack these believers right upside the head in his letter. It's pretty strong language. In fact, the language that he uses in the writings is really um, about getting them to be awakened, come to their senses, and listen to what he has to say. Um, If you read part of this in the beginning, as we walk through, he uses a phrase like, oh, foolish Galatians, what has bewitched you? Now you think about that and you think, oh, wow, okay, all right. 
But, but just imagine this. You're the recipient of the letter. Hey, you fool. What kind of devilry have you gotten into? Like, what? I, I'm a Christian. What, what, what did you call me? And then he goes on to write and lay his case in an argument about what it is that they have been entrapped with. And so the Apostle Paul writes as though he's in debate mode, essentially. The beginning in the first several chapters we get into, he's writing to make his argument. Now, 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 now we, we got to understand a little bit. This is the narrative a little bit. Where we land in chapter 4, verse 12, he, is, he has confronted, he has called them fools, he has challenged their way of thinking. He's asked them, who has, who has permeated your church in a way that has drawn you away from the central element which with I've left? This is the Apostle Paul. I've left you with the gospel of grace of Jesus Christ. These other people have infiltrated with another gospel, which is no gospel at all. This is the Apostle Paul. This is, so, so he's challenging them in a way to say, I left you as free people in Christ. What is this yoke of slavery that you have picked up? And so right here in chapter 4, verse 12, Let's launch, and I'm going to read the text. You can follow along. If I get my glasses here real quick, okay. Here we go. Start in verse 12. The Apostle Paul says, Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know, it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first, and though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testified to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out. Then you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone. For I am perplexed about you. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman is born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and she corresponds to the present Jerusalem. For she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother, for it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear, break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you brothers like Isaac are, ch are children of promise, but just as at that time he who is born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit. So also it is now. 
But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Wow. What an appeal. An appeal by the church planter. An appeal by the one who led them to the Lord. An appeal that would say, I left you as free people. What ideology have you captured that would ensnare you? And so I was thinking about this idea about, you know, I believe that the scripture was not written to us, but is for us. Amen? Like we can pull from it and draw from it. It's applicable to us. And so I was thinking about this idea about the idea of being free in Christ. And I was thinking about, have you ever experienced or remember the time when you freshly encountered the Lord? Let's think about this. Freshly, like it's new. It's like you had a revelation of his goodness. Like something hit you and you realized, wow, I am forgiven. Like I am, something's different. Like I am, I'm gonna lean into this. I am free. Like this revelation hits you. Or, or, or if you maybe grew up in the church and, and that, that uh, encounter has been just a slow growing in the knowledge of Christ and in his presence. But maybe as you look around, have you ever seen somebody who like, got lit by the presence of God and it, it altered their life and there's new and you're like, whoa, and you get excited by what you observed about them. Has that ever happened? Like you just make this revelation, right? And so in that moment, there's this understanding of freedom. Like something happened, like man, this burden, this encounter, this love that poured out to him. And then maybe it's you or maybe it's them, but the journey of life happens. Day by day, week by week, year by year, and, and you, you go through life and people and scripture and, and conversation and it ha stuff happens and you just, you just, things stick to you and people give you their input about your journey in the Christian life. And what I mean by input is I mean, well, you know, if you really did this, you know, you would, you would be a better Christian. Or, or if you really look like this, you know, you could, you, you would be a better Christian. Or, or if, you, if, you, if you didn't do that, you know, that's, don't, don't do that. And, I, and hear, hear my heart on this. I'm not here to just take off any yoke about what it means to be a believer and how we should live that life. But what I am saying is that there were people in the early church when the apostle Paul led people to the Lord and planted a church, they saw this as an opportunity to swoop in and remind them about all the laws of religion. Okay, you should. I think one of the pastors dealt with it. You should. Okay, so all men who have given their life to Jesus, Scripture says you should be circumcised. Remember, half of the group was Gentiles. This is what the Scripture, the law, says. So you, 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 line up, we'll do this thing. Okay. That's all I'm going to say about that. The rest of you, the rest of you, you shouldn't be dressed this particular way. 
There, there is a way to dress. In fact, and you look at ceremonial law, and, and it talks about how women should, should dress and how men should dress. And, and I'm observing that all of you, you know, okay, yeah, you should dress, and you can buy your clothing there and do this. This will make you a better Christian. Oh, and then some of you, you can't be eating the stuff you're eating, people. Like, I'm here. It's like, okay, Scripture says, look, it says no pork in the Old Testament, in the ceremonial law. I'm here to tell you, no pork. Don't do that. Don't do that. If you really want to honor God, you can't do the thing that I'm telling you you can't do, right? And so, and so the early Christians in this region were being infiltrated by people who were speaking to them another gospel. And so the apostle Paul heard, he heard Word came back to him. I, you know, it's, somehow word came back to him. It's like, maybe they came and I was like, hey, Apostle Paul, can I just have a minute with you? I just, I just need to tell you about what's going on. I was there. I was there and I heard. This is what's being told to them. And man, the church that you left isn't the church that's happening now. And they're doing all these things and people are speaking all this kind of stuff. And so the Apostle Paul responds to what he's heard, and he writes this letter. And he writes a letter, very upset, confrontational. It's like, what is bewitched you people? You're fools. This isn't the gospel that I left with you. I left you with the gospel of grace and freedom. And what have you submitted yourself under? This isn't what I taught you. Oh, I'm here to break this out to you. And the Apostle Paul writes in chapter 4, he kind of does a segue from this heavy-handed message to an appeal. And he starts, and, and he goes softly. He, he begins to appeal to them. He begins to appeal to their relationship with God, to his relationship with them, that he had labored with them, how, how they took care of him when he was sick. And this is really important that he writes this part because we don't know what he was sick with, but think about sickness 2,000 years ago without good hygiene. How many of you guys have ever had the flu and laid in bed for days? That does all kind of crazy things to your body, right? We have good hygiene now, a good different way, but sickness back then, we don't know what that was. And, and, and scripture says that they took care of him. And so he's appealing to them in the way that I'm writing this letter, I'm coming across heavy handed, but you cared for me. That's how I even came to share the gospel with you. Why don't you listen to me with what I'm about to say? And this is what he's saying. And he reminds them that, that the gospel that he left them with was a gospel of freedom, that we should live to a moral standard that never changes. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Amen? Like that is, the, that is the standard of the gospel of grace. The apostle Paul reminds him of that. And then he goes on to say and to encourage him, what now that you have taken on this other stuff that is veiled like gospel, but it's no gospel at all. It's actually just legalism. And they put a yoke on you. He talks about the idea that people have infiltrated the church to make a show of you. Think about this a minute. 
Think about this. People have infiltrated the church with another gospel, another way, another yoke, another thing, another like you should be doing this and you should be doing this only to say, hey guys, come over here, look. Look at all these people that I got to do this other thing. <sighs> Can't wait to see your numbers. <sighs> like, like there's this tension here. The apostle Paul He's on a war path. He's on a war path for the salvation of the souls of people. True. And, and it really illustrates this idea that we as a people, we are prone to methods and ways. Like, like we love, we love ways and, and we love processes and we love, and, and all those are healthy and good things for our lives. But there, there's a danger when those processes and ways become the law, right? Right, so, 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 so today, so, so what is the thing today that if the Apostle Paul was writing a letter about freedom, it's, what would he write to us? What is the thing that he would say to us? Grace Harvest Church, Moses Lake, right here in our context. Now, I know that we're a many varied people. And I know that I'm about to step on some thin ice with people. I know that right here in this room, there have been people that have relationship with God for decades. And you have built a solid foundation based on certain principles. But I also know that there are people here, you're maybe a first-time guest. And I just say, Welcome. My intention is not to blow apart your theology, but it's to introduce you to something. Jesus is good. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes would not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. Think about this. But that the world through him might be saved. So, so first position, God loves you. First position, he went into your world through his son Jesus. Second position, Jesus is not a hammer to be hitting people over the head. You're free. And the thing about freedom and the thing that we've come to understand about freedom is freedom is messy. Oh boy. The guardrails of freedom, they're just like, oh, okay, how do I do? The moral law, I love you, Lord, lead and guide me. I love people, so my extension of that is kindness. I'm going to treat them fairly. But, But in the midst of all that, it's a wild, wild world. God can lead us anywhere. And so what would God say to us about the idea of Grace Harvest Church? I've called you to be free. Well, that's really hard. I thought about this, and I thought, we're already a pretty free people. Like, you're pretty free. I'm looking around the room. You guys are a wild bunch. Free. (laughs) Holy Spirit-led, I love it. I love it. We're free. There's not much slavery in religion here at Grace Harvest Church, unless there is. Unless there is a way that we think and we do that could entrap you. And some of it is really, it's an undercurrent of talk maybe, or it's an expectation of a certain way, or, or it's a certain thing. And maybe if, if you've been here a while and you haven't yet experienced that or done that or, or participated in that, maybe you feel like you're on, on the outskirts, like I haven't arrived yet. But, but here's the thing. 
Here at Grace Harvest Church, we want you to understand that a relationship with God is central in your life. Amen? And we want you to be Holy Spirit people. We want you to be wild people led by God, right? Like, come on, because then you'll step out and do the thing that God has asked you to do when he asks you to do it. But, 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 but how does it creep in? How, how does it creep in? What's the, what's the threshold? What's the door? What's the way? And so what, what if I were to tell you that sometimes it really is about just the basic structure of relationship with God that sometimes can be a stumbling block as well if two things Condemnation is left and shame is left because you don't do. And the first one I'm going to say, it's an easy one. It's an easy target. You read your Bible every day? If you don't read your Bible every day, you're disappointing God. Some of you are looking at me like, I can't believe he said that. (laughs) How you feel in that moment at the moment when I said that is the very lever with which I believe the Apostle Paul is dealing with. And that's that as a pastor, you will not know anything about Jesus if you don't read your Bible. 99.9% of everything we know about Jesus comes from the text of Scripture. It's just the way it is. There's no other writings that illustrate the life and the value of who he was and what he did, except you dive into the pages and life is illustrated to us, right? Right? Like there's that moment, but here's the thing. Just that is not the metric that shows your, the opening and, and the desirability of who you are to God. So I, I want you to read your Bible. I want you to dive into the pages. I want you to consume like a meal and meat and everything that you need, but it isn't the entry point or the way that we gain approval from God, right? Like you're, and what, what about daily devotions and prayer? I'm looking around the room and some of you are like, don't look at me, right? And some of you, it's along the way, like all day long, you're just talking to God and he's led, but I wanna encourage you. How else do we exercise a conversation with God except we step out to do the conversation with God, right? Like God, have your way today, here I go. Lead and guide me, help me, I'm on the way. Things that's happening. That isn't the approval or the entry point in your relationship with God. He doesn't care if you're five point, three point, one point. He doesn't care. That's a, that's a human metric about everything that we believe and how we figure that out. The Apostle Paul is getting at something here. He's getting at the idea, I left you free people in Christ. Stand there. Stand there in that wild space of being like, okay, Lord, you loved me first. How do I respond to you in that way? How do I give my life? You redeemed me. You've forgiven me. You've taken the weight of shame and condemnation off me. Now, how can I live to please you? Right? This is what the Apostle Paul is getting at. He, he reminds them that he remembers them. Now, now remember, we're talking about a letter that was written to people that cared for him. He shared the gospel with him. Their lives are radically changed. And then he, he writes a confrontational part, and then he reminds them. In fact, this part of the text 
the kind of writing style that the Apostle Paul writes with, we don't find in any other epistles. This is it. Like he writes in a way that's emotional and personal and in a way that he, he cares as a, as a mother that gave birth to children that is now again perplexed about their behavior. And it's like, man, I'm in birthing pains again for you. What has happened? Like, how did we get here? How, how did you stray so far? And he reminds them, I love you. How many of you guys have ever been in a, um, a uh, oh, what's, um, where you confront somebody, an intervention? Intervention mean anyone? You know, okay, you know how, you know, you raise your hand, but yeah, okay. You know how that goes, right? You're like, you're sitting there, you're waiting. Maybe they know, maybe they don't know. I've been in plenty of the, they don't know. And they wander into the room, and there's this like, whoa, I thought we're having family coffee. And there's like six people all waiting, right? And then if you're the pastor or a Christian that's been invited in to spearhead or be a part of the conversation, you better be on. You got a certain moment that you're going to say the words that need to be said. And most often it starts with a little bit of love and then confrontation. And the, the end goal is that you take people in their thinking from this place to this place, right? You're trying to move them along, get, a, get an open door so change can happen. Even so much, you're like, okay, right here, right outside that door, there's a car running. And I already have a bed waiting for you two hours away. Are we gonna do this? Like, it's time. It's time to go. We love you. You've been made in the image of God, but, but, but what has happened here? You're destroying your life. And then comes the appeal, right? They usually invite you into the meetings because you have some sort of relationship with these people. And I have been in meetings where I have laid it on the line. I'm willing to throw 10 years of relationship at them all at once to see life change. And I know that their answer in that moment is going to mean whether they valued that or could see through the fog, right, right? Have you ever been in one of those meetings? We're talking like these aren't light things. These are like you're appealing and you're asking and you're drawing and then you sandwich that I am here because I love you. This is the Apostle Paul. He's challenging them. He sees the gospel that they're believing. He sees their future life. He sees their relationship with God as being on the line. What is this thing that you're believing today? Oh, foolish Galatians, this gospel that you've grasped onto, it's no gospel at all. I left you a gospel of freedom. And this thing that you're believing is not freedom. It's a yoke of slavery. So this is what he writes. He writes in an appeal that would you now believe? Turn back. Go back. Go back to the first thing that I shared with you. You see, I, I think that we're very much, very much similar to the people of Galatia in that they're people and we're people. And figure out the issue have you ever been in a dialogue with people about theology here at Grace Harvest Church? It can get spicy. We, we land and we can come to convictions. Like we can, we can come to a revelation and then we're going to talk with somebody and they can have a revelation. And now you've got to merge these two things about being free in the Holy Spirit and what scripture means. And at the end of it, agree that we're still going to be friends. 
right? Yet some of you are like, okay, we've been in those, and others are like, oh, I have yet to experience that. Nah, stick around. It'll happen. Some of it may be not on the depths of what we see here in the letter, but, 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 but nonetheless, sometimes those conversations can leave wounds because they hurt or they strike right to a specific nerve or a core and the Apostle Paul is saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's get right back to the basics here. I left you with a gospel of grace irregardless. And and I'm here to reassert to you that Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. Over the years, we can add layers to that, but but somewhere in the mix, we got to be reminded that Jesus is enough. Apostle Paul appeals to them. And, And then he goes on to write in a way that warns them. He, he warns them. He's like, these people aren't being genuine with you. They don't really love you. They're out to use you. You ever said that to somebody? Those friends that you have, they don't, they're not your friends at all. They're just using you. When you have that revelation, if that's ever been said to you, and then you have to like adjust to it, that hurts. Those people were not my friends. They were using me. Oh, that don't feel good. That's downright hurtful. You mean they just, this is the Apostle Paul giving warning. Those people, they don't care about you. They don't care about your future. They don't care about your salvation. They don't care about anything about the gospel. I led you to the Lord. I discipled you. I showed you what it meant to live a Christ-like life. Do that. Simply, love God, love people. That is what, and that's enough. He loved you. And so then he warns them. And then he goes on in this speaking to them about now, I desire to be with you again. I wish I was in person. I wanna, I wanna love on you. I wanna show you again if that's what's necessary. He explains to them and he pleads with them almost like they're a wayward child. Because he loves them. You know, in thinking about this, this part, this is how the Lord entreats us. He loves us. And oftentimes, we don't perceive the right thing in his pursuit. See, Apostle Paul, he challenged the people, corrected them, appealed to them, gave them the right and proper counsel again, and then appealed to them again. It's like the Lord chasing us the first time we get confronted. It's like, oh, especially if you've had anyone confront you who you think is your friend, right? Like those wounds can go deep. Like, and then they talk with you. You know, I just want to talk with you about something. I've noticed something about your life. I just, you know, I love you, right? And I know what's coming. I know you love me. Just hit me. And then they break out something to you. And oftentimes, I want to genuinely hear what it is is their heart. Because people don't always convey it rightly, right? But I want to hear right, okay, yes, okay, I do, yes. And I'm, I'm, I'm just going to jump to the next thing, which is this. They love me. They love me. How oftentimes do the people around you challenge you, say something to you? correct you, 
try and spur you along in Christ and do it in a way that would, that would try to draw out the right thing in you. And you have the right response. I'm just not going to talk to you anymore. I don't think you're my friend. I think the way you talk to me, I don't appreciate. And I would submit to you this. It takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of courage to call out somebody that you would say is your friend or that you love. And those people that are willing to do it may not do it perfectly, but you should surround yourself with people that are not afraid to challenge you or to call you up or to say the thing and see through it that they love you. They're willing to say the hard thing. So, the Apostle Paul goes on a contrast of grace and law. Now, now this is an interesting treatise here. In this particular section, he tells a story and he goes and he, and he gives some background about this idea about the workings of Abraham and the promise of God to Sarah and then the suggestion from Sarah about how that will be fulfilled because when the word of the Lord came to Abraham or Abram, that right in that moment, the Lord said, I'm going to give you a son. And his wife was 90 years old. How do those dynamics work? So they did what you just did. <laughs> Sarah laughed. The Lord heard. The Lord wasn't too pleased with the lack of faith. And yet in the midst of that, they, de- they devised their own plan about how to please God. So the Apostle Paul is drawing a parallel story, okay? And he's drawing a parallel story versus legalism in your own acts to please God versus grace versus the story of Abraham and their stepping out on their own to do what it is that God promised that he would do. And so, so Sarah says, you know, I'm old. I am past childbirthing age. You should go sleep with my servant and she'll bear you a child. And so Abraham says, I think that's a great idea. I'm going to go sleep with her. And she gets pregnant and has a child. Not a good idea. It was not, it was not in faith. It was in disobedience to the word from God. They tried to manufacture the promise of God. They tried to, to, to please God in a method of their own doing, right? So, so, so now all of a sudden, a son is born, an older son. The promise of God through Abraham still applied to him. In fact, the scripture says that he, was, he would be taken care of all the days and the generations would be taken care of all the days, but he would be wild and at odds with the promised son. And so, so there comes a point where they have to send him out because there's tension. And then right in the midst of that, he gets together with his wife and they have a son, the promised one, the one that was foretold that God said would happen and through that line would be promised and they would be taken care of all the days of their life and inheritance would come through that. And the apostle Paul draws this story through that that says, okay, think about this. And the way that the promise of God was fulfilled through Abram and Sarah as a miraculous thing is the same way that I have relationship with you and is a miraculous thing. Don't try to manufacture your own righteous ways in rules that you apply to and thinking that you are going to satisfy me and gain more approval. Somebody say amen. 
right? So this is a purely God-initiated thing for your life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You can't earn any more standing than Jesus imputes to you. Like he covers that. In fact, when, if you, when you accept that relationship, that exchange, that repentance, that mind change, when the Lord looks at you, he looks through the lens of his son. In fact, scripture implies that, that he is the mediator up there and the one who's the advocate. The advocate being, Father, they've accepted me. They are yours. That is the approval that you get through scripture that's illustrated to us. God loves you. That God loves you. And so the apostle Paul is appealing to these people in Galatia and in the region, don't manufacture and, and adhere to the old laws thinking you're going to gain more from God. You've already gained everything in Christ. So for us, the idea, because we're people, there is nothing more we can do to earn the grace of God. There are things that will begin to flow out of us because of the grace of God. But that posture is different. The reasoning is different. The whole, the whole premise is going to be a different thing when first, because of initiation, it's a response like, oh Lord, I'm going to do this for you that pleases and honors you out of that love relationship with God as opposed to, I have to do this, I have to do these things to earn the grace of God. Amen. Two totally different positions. Amen. And this morning, people, I want to encourage you. Just like the Apostle Paul argues, appeals, challenges, calls the idea that you cannot do anything of your own that would merit the grace of God. It's free. And he lavishly pours it on you through his son Jesus.